Before we begin, let's mention our sponsor, Honor Athletics. That's right, Sensei. Make them your go-to source for all your karate needs and more. Us. You can contact them at honor-athletics.com or give them a call at 770-945-5150. And please mention Wildcat Dojo for your 10% discount. Thanks, Thanks, guys. This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Welcome to another episode. I'm Sensei Michelle. I'm Sensei Jackie. And today we're doing one of our favorite types of episodes. Don't you agree? Totally. An interview. And our guest is our old friend, the Reverend Dr. Rebecca Savage. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on Honor Sensei. Okay, so obviously I need to do a little bit of background, right? I think so, Sensei. So we met somewhere at the turn of the century when Reverend Savage joined the Karate Dojo and, by the way, achieved the rank of Nidon which is second degree black belt. You're also a major in the military on inactive duty and a practicing minister. I got to say, that is some accomplishment. Yes, it is. That is a trifecta. That was funny. (laughs) I work really hard at that. (laughs) That was funnier than the other one. Okay. So one of the many reasons I invited you on today's show is to talk to you about how those things synchronized together, and at what points did they clash and did they ever clash? This is going to be extremely interesting to me, and I hope to all of you. I was thinking we should start with the question, which did you do first? Oof, out of all those three, <laughs> I would say, so for me, um, karate and religious or spiritual life were concurrent. You know, I came to Florida and started training with Sensei Tracy and Sensei Michelle and Sensei Jackie back in 1999, and I was there completing my requirements for ordination. So what gave me the grounding in my life was karate. I mean, it really became the backbone and the skeleton upon which my flesh was built. And the reason why I say that is because I was rudderless. Being in spiritual life, I was working as a chaplain. I was at Jackson Memorial as a chaplain resident, working in the trauma unit, working in the emergency room. So it was all chaos and um, being able to be a minister and a spiritual presence in the midst of people's worst times in their life. A lot of sadness that you must have seen. Oh, constant trauma, constant loss, constant uh, families that are just hurting and aching. And so holding them was what comes not naturally. I mean, it's, it's, it's my gift that I've been given, but what I needed is, is a container and that container has to be really strong and Mm -hmm. has to be really grounded and very much aligned with taking care of me first so I can take care of others. And it was really the discipline and the courtesy of karate that set me up for the military. And set me up to live this life because ministry is chaotic, 24-7, absolute chaos, (laughs) because things are happening constantly. And it's only because of the discipline and courtesy that I was given in karate that I had a frame to build the house. I said a lot there. No, you did good. Really good. Perfect. (laughs) I want to stop real quick and give a shout out to Sensei Tracy. Our audience will know her because we do episodes on book reviews. And she's a regular on that. 
So you guys all know Sensei Tracy. She's soft-spoken, but she is one strong woman, right? Absolutely. An incredible teacher. We're super proud and honored to work with her. I'm forever grateful for the lessons that Sensei Tracy gave me. And she gave me permission. I, I feel like she mentored and modeled being strong, being feminine, being smart, and loving violence. Yes. I would 100% agree with that. That is such a good way to put it. Ooh, see, this is going to be fun because she's so good with words. Yes. Yay. All right. I, gee, I don't know where to jump. Should I jump straight into how you came to join the military? My story in the military really started on September 11th. Uh, so I was serving a congregation as an intern. And I remember I was driving up 95 to go to Boca. And that's when the first plane hit. And I remember it clear as day. Time stopped. And I remember crawling up 95 and everyone's cars just stopped. And by the time I got to the office at Boca, I think the second plane had hit and just everyone's life turned upside down. And I I remember it was for probably a good week, two weeks that no one left their computer. I mean, I remember that you were just glued to the TV, glued to the radio, glued to the news, watching for every story, just trying to comprehend and trying to figure out like, what what does this mean? And for me, it it was a spark uh, call to serve very clearly. And I even talked to Sensei Tracy about it. And I hadn't finished my ordination requirements and I was going to commission before I, I was done. And Sensei Tracy told me, no, that's not what I need to be doing. And I need to wait until I finished my ordination requirements and then come in as a chaplain, which changed my life because I had no idea what I was doing. I knew I needed to serve. I knew I wanted to serve. But when I talked to the recruiter, the recruiter had to explain to me that I was going to be an officer and what that meant. (laughs) Whoosh! Like all of this was brand new. But my calling to serve in the military really started on September 11th and continued as a chaplain almost completely because Sensei Tracy told me to pause and wait. So I commissioned in September of 2003. So it it took about 11 months to complete all my commissioning paperwork. And I credit karate, the discipline, the courtesy, the physical excellence, all of that set me up for supreme success in the military. If I had just come in as a civilian with a pastor's heart that just wants to love up on people, that would have only gone so far. But it was really that I could look like a soldier, that I knew what it is to be a warrior, that I had that fighting spirit, that I respected the fighting spirit, and I respected the way of the warrior and others, that cultural, um, the cultural adaptation wasn't that, that hard for me. That makes you know, sense. Of, yeah. And you were voted chaplain of the year for the army. Yes. What year was that? Um, 2010. I was pregnant with Thane. Oh, no, it must have been 2009. So <laughs> I, have a, I have a boot camp question. When you go in as an officer, do you have the regular boot camp where you have to crawl through mud and stuff? No. <laughs> and say it's even worse than that. I went to chaplain officer basic. So oh. since I already had a master's degree, I didn't go to boot camp. I went to Chaplain Officer Basic, which is like the uh, country club version of boot camp. (laughs) It really is. I know these questions are childish because I don't know a lot about it. But when you go into Chaplain 
officer training. Do you still have to do the target shooting? No, actually, by Geneva Convention, we are not allowed to carry weapons. We are not permitted to touch weapons. We're not permitted to train on them. We're not, no. not, not. I am a non-combatant by international standards. And I did so not it, know that. But, but don't, aren't you allowed to have an assistant who carries a weapon? Correct. So my assistant is my bodyguard. My assistant is my driver. My assistant is my organizational help. And they're also my protector. So oh, when we are in Afghanistan, right. I would drive because my assistant was the shooter. So and let me ask it, you, you, you guys had to get along really good. Yes, very well. <laughs> did you change very assistants well. or did you have the same one the whole your whole tours? Um, it depended on the unit I was with. Um, when I was downrange, when I was downrange, I had two different assistants. But I worked in a chapel where there was a pool of chaplains and a pool of chaplain assistants. So we, we would often rotate out. But it's a very close relationship because they are my person. They are yeah. my, at least for, you know, I mean, hand in hand. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> they can't take that away from you no matter what convention. Not, and, and I carried a knife. A knife was considered, you know, I mean, and thankfully because of Master Collegian that, you know, I had some training in, in knife skills. So I kept my knife on me and that is not against Geneva Conventions. Oh, I didn't know that either. Did you get a military knife or did you have your own? Um, I have a collection of my own knives. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. We all do. I've given a lot of them away. I Me think that's where I am in my career. You know, I'm 20 years. It'll be 20 years in September since I've been ordained. Wow. And we were at your ordination. I remember it clearly. It was a beautiful church, too. Thank you. All right. So let's get down into some of it. We've already kind of touched on things that were helpful, like your karate training uh, prepared you for the structure of the military. And, and I can totally see that. Uh, actually, a, a number of people we've known have gone from karate into the military. Mm-hmm. But what about the idea of being a chaplain in the military? Did you find that's the way to say it, right? Mm-hmm. Did you find any kind of conflict or was it fairly smooth? OK, good one. Um. So being a chaplain is a great privilege because I get to color outside the lines all the time. My job is to care about people. My job is to be the ethical and the moral advisor to the commander. My job is to be a leader and a model and example. And one of the safe places for people to be their true, their authentic, and their broken selves. And so for me, my job is just to care about people. And that, that is a huge privilege in a military environment where it is so disciplined and courtesy and you don't have feelings. We don't have feelings unless they're issued to you. You don't have a family unless it's issued to you. I mean, that's a, a joke, but you know, that the, the life can be so hard and so demanding that my job was to be like, Hey, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Is your family okay? And, and it's okay and expected for them to be honest with me. Which, you know, I like being in a rigid system, but having a lot of freedom, which meant that it was my job to go to places that was of my commander's design, of my supervisor's design, of my own. I relied on my chaplain assistant, who's an enlisted person. They're always an enlisted soldier. So they they had the word on the street as to what is actually happening in the barracks. They really knew what was happening with the junior enlisted soldiers. Where as an officer, even though I was a chaplain, for me to be in some of those spaces, no one's going to talk to me. I knew that. Right. Since Rebecca, I remember reading, maybe on Facebook, stories 
I think where you would go to the town with your uh, helper and work with people so that that they could. I, it was in Afghanistan. I just can't remember exactly what the stories were. Um, we had a medical mission. Is that the one you were thinking? I think of, so. Maybe? I think that's it. Part of the mission was to bring stability to the countrysides. Right. And in, because Afghanistan has been at war for so many generations and has been stripped of such intellectual resources, infrastructure, hospitals, you know, that they needed support all over the country. And so as a female minister, I mean, a female officer, they didn't quite know that I was a chaplain because that wouldn't necessarily register. But just they would have diverse teams go out to these remote areas and provide what they called, um, it's like a humanitarian mission. So it's called a medcap. And they would provide doctors and nurses nutrition instructions. And then I would often go with them. Not, Not too often. I think I went on two or three. And sometimes we'd bring school supplies to the kids. I mean, the American people were so generous. I mean, this was, oh gosh, 2005, 2006. It feels like the lifetime ago. Wow. That is a while ago. All right. So here's my question. When you're doing your chaplaining in the military, did you prefer the one-on-one? Did you find it more difficult? Or did you prefer the group settings? Which one was more challenging? Which one was more rewarding? It's a really good question. Oof. Well, Sensei, it's very similar to a one-on-one instruction versus leading a group class, I would say. You know, if you have a one-on-one private lesson with a student, you can tailor it to their needs. They can be much more honest about what they're struggling with. They can be much more uh, vulnerable with you in in their places where they're not feeling strong. Uh, But leading a group class is amazing because the energy is big and you can get the excitement up and you can push them. I, I ran a dojo when I was in Afghanistan. I'm not sure if Sensei Tracy told you that. I did teach lessons. Congratulations. <laughs> I remember reading about that, too. This is so weird that it comes back. So what, what I'm hearing you say is they complemented each other. One without the other would, would not have been a complete picture, just like with training. Yes, Sensei. Now, I am moving forward to more modern times. So in the last few years since you've been in your present situation, does your... Karate training from all those years ago still factor into the thoughts of your day today? Like, does anything ever hit pay dirt? You're like, oh, I think I'll bring this up in my mind. 100%. Always keep the fighting spirit. <laughs> That's one of oh, everybody's favorite. It's so true. Well, and at, at, at church and at the gym and with my kids, I also say we don't say the C word. We don't say the C word. Uh, I mean, there's so many lessons from the dojo that I use in the gym, in my life, and in my industry with my kids. (laughs) Okay, let's just go for our audience over those two. First off, fighting spirit does not mean aggressive personality. It means perseverance. Correct. And we love perseverance. Actually, we just did a whole episode on it the other day, and we talk about it by all its other names, my favorite being tenacity, but only because I'm a Jack Black fan, and he has a band called Tenacious D, if you've never heard them you got to check it out they just made a new song oh they did Mm -hmm. i'm way off track now aren't i it's okay (laughs) and for me fighting spirit i love the tenacity i love the resilience i love the strength but that fighting spirit that i think i've learned from especially you you both master collegian and sensei tracy is that that steel spine and the steel jaw like you are going to look like you are a warrior in your bearing wherever you are i have a sweet smile i have a pleasant demeanor and that fighting spirit is like a hair's breadth underneath my skin. (laughs) 
So listen, we've got to get to the C word. So the C word where karate is concerned, it, the one we're referring to is can't. That's C-A-N apostrophe T, can't. And we don't say the word can't. To little kids, I say, instead of saying, I can't do this, sensei say, I'm going to keep trying, sensei, I'm going to keep trying. And just to keep their spirit up and make it fun for us, because it's hard for everybody. Right? I think I can. I think I can. Yes. And in adult class, we just kind of groan and push. Right. <laughs> I mean, all of the sayings and the maxims are, are constantly in my thoughts. You know, fall down seven times, get up eight, be like water. I mean, like I could keep going. I've probably preached on half of these. I am the way of the peaceful warrior. And I feel like that is incredibly principled, you know, that that the discipline and the courtesy and the tradition and the legacy of martial arts is one of honor. And so it's not just violence for the sake of violence. So for me, that is my life. I mean, it continues to be my life. I'm at the gym six days a week at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning without fail. Which is a perfect segue to my third and final question. Are you ready? And I hope <laughs> this takes us out with a fun story or two. So let's keep our fingers crossed. So a few times you've mentioned workout. We're all big on workout time. You've got your military training and what you learned there in the exercise world. You've got your karate training and what you learned there in the exercise world. And then you've got the other things that came forward. What do you draw from karate in your workout? And what do you draw from the military in your workout? I'm so oh. interested in this subject. You mean like, do you ever do kata? Oh, absolutely. Do you have one you still love and do all the time or... Oh, absolutely. Uh, MP Ha is still one of my favorites. I, st I still I still train myself. So my sister owns a gym in Bethesda and she has a dance studio and oh. one wall are all mirrors. So I can have the whole studio to myself with no one else in the building and just I do kata. I still train on the escrima and my sai and my bow. And so I've been training in yoga. So that's kept me flexible. So I still practice my kicks and my splits. And actually, I was just doing that this morning. <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds so cool. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And to have the that whole wall of mirrors must just be it's great. So the military has taught me um so the army is known for long distance suck. And what I've done a few times, you know, I've run marathons, but for me, I did a marathon wearing a rucksack of 50 pounds over up and above mountains and through sand. That's wow. army training. Like that's seven wow. hours. You don't put the pack down. You go up and over mountains. You go, like, you, you feel like you're dying. So for me, that's also um, what the military has taught me is, is memory and legacy is very important. So that was the Bataan Memorial Death March. Oh. And when in the Philippines, thousands of service members died, only a handful survived that death march and so every year they do this in white sands new mexico and that's the army training of you don't stop you just don't stop wow that is impressive so we're not going to end on the Bataan death march i don't think so so let's see i think our audience might be interested in the fact that from your voice it sounds to me like you would really recommend all three things to people maybe not all three things at the same time what what are your thoughts there? <laughs> I, I don't see why not, Sensei. <laughs> In other words, it worked for you. Absolutely. And continues to. You know, I mean, all three are very present in my life constantly. And I am, I, I am only the person I am today because of my karate training and because of my military training. 
yeah, the three of them are sort of a, a, a braided, you know, strand together. And they are your DNA. True. So that's just a beautiful thought. So if you're a young person out there and you are saying, you know, I feel a little lost because I remember that feeling, then any of these three things is an interesting place to start. It doesn't mean that's where you'll end up. You never know where you're going to end up, but it's an interesting place to start. Definitely. And don't forget that education is integral to all three of them. I agree. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Start right where you are and follow your passion. I remember when I started with Sensei Tracy, it was once a week. And then it was a second class. And then it was a third class. And then I was going to all the, you know, the, the competition. I was just telling someone about the tournaments that we used to have at Fort Myers. Like, oh, yes. <laughs> okay, that's an awesome place to end. Yeah, that's <laughs> right there. That's a happy, happy place. Gee, okay. A Fort Myers memory. Well, uh, how about we start with, we were on the beach behind a hotel whose main draw was the fact that it was a bar. It was a party hotel. Absolutely. (laughs) And it was a great party, Sensei. (laughs) (laughs) Now, see, I did not know the Reverend Dr. Rebecca Savage was allowed to party. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I have to be able to hang with the other officers, which means that I have to be able to drink whiskey and smoke a cigar and do 50 push-ups and drop it hot. Like, come on now. (laughs) And you had to learn that somewhere. So Fort Myers was the place to learn. Oh, and, and the fellow brown belts. <laughs> the little, little brown belts. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. Yes. It, it really changed my life. And I'm very, very grateful. I mean, I, I think I wrote to you like it put the steel in my spine, you know. <laughs> uh, may I show you the sword that my students made for me in Afghanistan? Of course. Oh, my. That's beautiful. And this is a handmade Afghan sword with a wooden and brass handle. <sighs> that is so beautiful. Very, I mean, it's very heavy and it's it's very sharp and very heavy. But this is on uh, my dresser that I look at every single day. That is so beautiful. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. The first thing I absolutely need to do is say thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Sensei. My pleasure. I also want to say if you want to contact us about this or any of our other episodes, we're all over the web at Wildcat Dojo. On Instagram, we're Wildcat Dojo Conversations. And you can be old school and write us an email at dojoconversations at aol.com. All right, Cynthia Jackie, that ought to do it. See you next week. And on that note, I'm signing out. Thanks for being here. Hope you join us again next week on Wildcat Dojo Conversations. <laughs>